Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed Episode 401 is recorded live April 4th, 2019. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where I think this is the first time I haven't been sick in a long time. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. Glad to be here. Excellent. And uh, we also have people in the chat room, like to thank Eric and uh, Craig. You know, we got to give Craig some credit for showing up. I'm sure as we go, we'll have more people pop in. I'm I'm behind a couple episodes on editing. I keep thinking I'm going to have time, and this time of the year is not good for for having time. Uh, we didn't record last week, which would have been the last uh, Thursday in March, because I was away at a robotics competition, which went very well for the team. Out of 40 teams competing, they uh, ranked number one at the end of qualifications chosen alliance and end up winning the whole thing so darren that's excellent yeah as a the highest that's the best they've done at a district event they've won other district events both as i think we've done i think we've done it as a captain yeah was saint joe in there not at this particular event uh saint joe uh statewide is is uh a few ranking points behind us out of the uh, 600 teams in the state. Bering Springs is sitting at uh, currently 29 with one week of competition yet to go. So we probably will slip a few spots. St. Joe, I think, is in the 40s right now. Have you been to their facilities? I have not. Uh, I was, I was, we had the St. Joe robotics event at St. Joe when they did the grand opening, but we didn't mm-hmm. have time to get over to see it. Yeah. Um, I maybe this next week I'll I'll after because we got state coming up so we won't be recording next Thursday. Uh, so that means a negative on the eleventh. I'll make my little note. Yep. I don't keep sending you notes and saying, "Are we on this week?" <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I just crossed so, it off. Yeah, but uh, have you been in there? Have you seen it? No, they had a really good article on it. Uh, actually, two over a period of a week during the heavy duty robotics. I uh, had some robotic pictures, and then they had uh, the picture of the of the new building, mm-hmm. and like it's got a gallery, so they can always practice at the same time of doing other items, which yeah. is one of the disadvantages a lot of people don't have. Yeah, they have to the, they take down their challenge pit or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. their route. Yeah, their their the practice field or yeah, they've they've got a. I haven't seen it myself. I, the, in fact, what's interesting is the place where our practice field is for our robotics team is a metal fab shop. And that metal fab shop made parts of the building and the field for St. Joe at theirs. So since he was a sponsor, we were trying to convince him to put like extra magnets or things into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know Barry and Springs is, I mean, not diving, but hey, uh, you guys are going to get a new field and stuff too. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, uh, school district, uh, uh, the football field, they finalized plans. That's going to be put in this next year. And they also approved a bond millage. So they'll be putting in a called a performing arts center and a athletic center, uh, similar to a field house. I don't expect it to be quite as large as what, uh, St. Joe has. Cause we're just not that big a school, but, uh, for us, it's going to be nice. Um, what, what the challenges a lot of schools are running into is that with the rise in equality between boys' sports and girls' sports, and then the additional number of sports they have, there's just not enough places for uh, students to practice athletics. I mean, it's you know, the se- the seasons are all overlapping, and there's not enough facilities. So, yeah, that'll be nice. Uh, Bering Springs has got three or four years of construction, and in the process of that, I'm trying to negotiate space. I doubt I'll get anything as nice as what St. Joe's got for robotics, but uh, 
we're still uh, trying to work and get something in there. Well, when you guys keep placing like you are, they've got to, you know, loosen the mm-hmm. purse strings a little bit because it's a, it's a good advertisement for the school. Yeah. And it's well, you, definitely good for the kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, the, I mean, it, it does well for the kids when you look at it and sorry for everybody who's listening to the podcast, want to know and talk about diving. Uh, but when you look at the, the amount of time, uh, and that's something I'm going to be doing here later in the year is figuring out how much time all the mentors and all the students do. When, when, when does, did your kids come home? and work on something academically for hundreds and hundreds of hours beyond what the school's requiring. And and that's really what robotics is. At all aspects of the robotics, you've got business teams, you've got engineering design teams, CAD, machining, building, uh, performance strategy, communication. I mean, there's a lot of facets to the robotics program that helps students. And uh, and my, my philosophy is something, you know, it's, it's not just about the robots and about winning, but uh, when you're doing well and performing well, uh, it certainly helps get the message out and uh, encourages the kids to participate. And then you look at all the mentors. And, you know, our team right now is about 16 students, which is on a fairly small side. We're a little bit smaller than last year. Uh, but when you look at the mentors, we've probably got a dozen mentors and the hundreds and hundreds of hours of time they're donating to help students. Um, I don't, I mean, there are teachers who I, I doubt get a dozen hours of community support to help them in their classrooms. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. We have this uh, first article up and it says Jaws turns up in Florida. It says sharks are the reasons why many people won't go in the water, but Amber and Tommy Allure, a couple of free divers from Stewart, Florida, were thrilled to get some photographs of a great white a rare visitor that stretch while spearfishing with friends off Juniper last month. They estimate the sharks to be around 12 feet long. Meanwhile, Florida legislators preparing a statewide ban on the practice of fishermen dumping fish guts in the ocean to lure sharks closer to beaches and too often the swimmers in the ocean dippers. Uh, where was this one out of Matt? Uh, undercurrent. Undercurrent. So that's uh undercurrent's a good magazine. Okay, why why do the fishermen dump the guts to lure the sharks close to beaches for? Well, I mean, sometimes they chum for shark dives. So wherever they're doing the shark dive, but, they'll... But close to shore, the beaches? That seems contrary. Was, was this fishermen, they said? Yeah, it says, practice of fishermen dumping fish guts in the ocean to lure sharks closer to the beaches. Maybe it's because they consider them... Competitors for what they're fishing for? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, if you, th- if you throw the guts near the beaches, then I don't. I don't know. I mean, that would be an interesting question to pose to one of these fishermen. I don't know the difference between a swimmer and an ocean dipper either. It's a to lure sharks closer to beaches, and too often to swimmers and ocean dippers. That means that people would just get in there and wade around and. Whatever, as opposed to swimming? Uh, the the human beached whales, I think, is what they're calling ocean <laughs> I'm, I'm That's all I can think of, which could, uh, could be me, uh, if you, even though I do swim, by the way. Only when you're getting out of the ice do you look something like, something <laughs> oh, like that. Oh, gosh. It's hard to gracefully get out of the ice. I'm more like a walrus, yes. Yeah. And then this one is out of, I think it's out of Cyprus. The Tornos Times, Cyprus finds U.S. Norwegian men for legal shipwreck search. AP is reporting that Nicosa, oh, from Nicosa, that Cyprus law enforcement official says the court has fined a U.S. national and Norwegian man 6,000 euros, which is about $6,730, each for illegally searching for an old shipwreck off the East Mediterranean island coast. The officials who spoke on condition of anonymity because they are not allowed to disclose details of the case publicly revealed that Friday authorities have received a tip in February that two men were looking for the shipwreck aboard a research vessel. The 36-year-old American and 44-year-old Norwegian were convicted last month on two charges of conspiracy, conspiracy to commit a misdemeanor as well as attempting to illegally search for antiquities without formal authorization. Now, that one I would like to hear more about. 
because searching doesn't mean you're doing a darn thing other than looking. Right. And that so I may... find something, you mean if I find something, when is when does it become a search for antiquities? It didn't say anything about how old the ship was, did it? No, it didn't say anything about this. And who's to say that you're searching? I mean, anytime I'm going in the water, I'm searching. <clears throat> now, I may not have a target in mind. Is it if you go in looking for something? I mean, they may not have even had a <coughs> defined target. I mean, if I was, uh, say I'm Paul Allen, and I've got this giant boat, and I'm alive, I'm going, yeah, I'm going to throw that side scan down there and magnetometer and see what I can see. Because it said for illegally searching for an old shipwreck. So it may have been one they're looking for, but still, I find it hard to understand how looking for something, if all you do is, you know, maybe it's going to turn over the location to the authorities. That's what they want. I think that's what they want. I think their approach is, if we make you tell us you're looking, then we know who to watch. So as soon as you're looking, and then you've probably got to file paperwork and you got to report it. and uh, So you wonder who turned them in? Probably one of the crew on the boat. I mean, I don't know how it works over there. I mean, is it possible that they get a finder's fee for reporting on them? I don't know. That it's really interesting. Find I mean, if you out got why. if you if you got it if you got a ten or twenty percent finder's fee, heck, that's a nice uh, chunk of change you'd get. Well, yeah, well, you know, it's like the IRS. You know, if you turn in someone, you get I think it's ten percent of the aspects or whatever they their penalty is. You get ten percent of it. Yeah. So I mean, if your boss is doing you bad, you know. Well, that's <laughs> not happening. He's playing with the books or something. You know, you, you could not necessarily get even, but you could get ahead. Yeah. Uh, the one thing being in the the computer industry, the uh, the same thing worked with uh, pirate software piracy, where there's a piracy hotline that employees can call, report you, and they can get some of the money. But what I found is that people with disgruntled employees who lost their jobs would call it without having any information. Uh-huh. But you still have to go through the, you know, the audit, and you know, they're treating you like you know, the software companies are treating you like a criminal until you finally uh, satisfy them to the to a certain extent. Yeah, I did a little search on that same item as we were talking, and I've gone through nine pages, and they all referenced the exact same verbiage as what you just went. Hmm. Yeah, there's not a lot of detail in here, but this and is from the bit. No, and, and this is an Associated Press article, so uh, everybody who's who's displaying it probably got it from the same source. You would think they'd change something. You'd hope. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe we'll hear more about it because I'm really interested how yeah, anybody, the illegals anybody, would look for something. Well, and I'd like to know from other countries, even you know, besides Cyprus, is that is this a common law? You know, is this the way? Is it the same way in the UK, France, Germany, Russia? I mean, is is it one of those things where any time you go to look for something, do you have to report in advance and get a permit? Well, you kind of have that, isn't that something that's going on with metal detecting? Well, I was just about to say you beat me to it. That <laughs> depends on where you're at. You have to either report what you're going to find or look for, uh, like DNR. I heard. Anyway, there's some people looking for some stuff over the weekend. The DNR mm -hmm. was basically encouraging them not to do that, even though where they were at was not illegal. There are some parks that we have been to that you cannot take a metal detector in, and there are some that you can, but you can only search in certain areas. Yeah. And that's yeah. usually the sandy beach for crowds as opposed yeah. to going around the train and the camping area. Well, uh, and I think what what they're doing in that case is that uh, I've I've heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, but that they've had problems with people digging up the place. You know, they're they're putting divots and holes in the yeah, ground. People who don't stuff. know what they're doing, absolutely. And then you've I mean, also got the archaeologists, of course, are not going to like it because anything that's found, they can't find. Not that they're looking because they haven't got a grant, the government, right. meaning your taxes, your money. To go look yeah. on there. Yeah, they won't. They uh, want to wait. They want to wait until something 
it's my different story. Yeah, different story. yeah. The, <laughs> all our all our archaeological <laughs> friends are now just uh, like balling up their fist at us. But uh, okay, um, this next article says, uh, "Did you hear a fish bomb?" Reef Check Malaysia has decided to put a spotlight on marine debris in this inner. Oh my goodness! In the this international year of the reef, because they are seeing alarming amounts of plastic and other trash on Malaysian beaches, and they'll kick off their campaign with beach cleanups on three areas and other islands. However, fish bombing is still a problem in the area. The organization's state: If you are diving in Malaysia waters and hear dynamite fishing in action, you can report it by emailing reportfishbomb at reefcheck.org.my with date, time, and location. Now, it's one of those after the fact, but mm-hmm. I'm curious how they follow up. on. And is you know, somebody watching that all the time? So they'd have a boat in the area that could then relay and said, hey, go over and check such and such. Well, either that or they're going to use the information to figure out who they need to shake down and get a bribe from. I'm not sure which is worse, dynamite fishing or when they use chemical fishing. Like the cyanide fishing? Yep. Because that not only kills the fish and stuff, it also screws up the coral. Well, and dynamite can do the same thing. Plus, I cannot, I cannot, I would not want to be in the water when a stick of dynamite goes off. Well, it depends on the depth and the distance you are from it, but you've never been underwater when something's gone boom? (laughs) Uh, Not frequently, but uh, maybe a couple times. Yeah, we've been out there when people have tossed a quarter stick of dynamite in. You can feel it in your chest pretty good, depending (laughs) on how close you are. Well, this next article uh, is the world's deepest pool to open in Poland. Uh, This opened Poland later this year, complete with underwater caves, overhangs. You'll be able to go as low as... 45 meters or 148 feet deep, an ideal training spot for professional scuba divers. A deep spot pool hold 8,000 cubic meters of water, 27 times the volume of an average 25-meter pool. The pool's are currently under construction in the town of too many uh, yeah. Z's. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me try and slaughter it for everybody. Miskazz now? <laughs> I mean, that's Miskazzcon now? I don't even know. I am not even going to try it. So here's how it spells. M-S-Z-C-Z-O-N-O-W. Less than 30 miles from Warsaw. About 1,100 tons of steel is being used to reinforce the structure, which includes a simulated blue hole plunging down to its deepest point. Designers say it suit both beginners and more experienced divers but those who don't want to get wet can enjoy the facilities thanks to an underwater tunnel for spectators. Surrounding the conference and training site will also look out on the pool's interior as well as a room uh, they're calling the hotel rooms with a view. Once it's open, Deep Spot will knock the Italian Y40 Deep Joy off the top spot located in uh, Montegaroto Termi Resort area near Venice. The pool there is the star attraction of the Hotel Millipini. I like this one better than the uh, Y40. Uh, well, you see the new, one, the new one in Britain, though, is going to be deeper than that. Oh, there's, they got one coming in Britain, too? Yeah. Yeah. See, I want to do one in this area because I thought we're close enough to Chicago. And just just being able to say you're the deepest well, the closest we come is diving the missile solos. Yeah. I would not be surprised to find out that there are deeper military pools that they're not telling anybody about. I think they'd be going on to the ocean. You think just going in the ocean? Yep. I mean, that's a lot of bread. How do you keep that quiet? And the maintenance of it? I think it's cheaper to take the boat out and dump them in the water there. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the photos, the 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 renders of this? What I'm is up the, with the, the diving bell? I don't know. I'm just looking at the mermaids. <laughs> the mermaids, Sorry. yeah. There, there was, Sorry about there, that. There was other things in that photo? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I just scroll down to the bottom. Or... You could have been recording before. So it was 10.05. Oh, let's see. 
How far back do we want to go? Well, I would try that sunscreen. We were on that for Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to tracking sunscreen. Um, so Key West bans popular sunscreens following Hawaii's footsteps. City council members in this Florida Keys town voted 6-1 to one last month to ban sales of sunscreen with oxybenzone and octanate, two chemicals shown to damage corals. The U.S. National Park Service issued a statement after Key West vote recommending people buy skincare products containing titanium oxide or zinc oxide, which are considered natural alternatives to those two banned chemicals. And then I found this article in Cosmetic Business tracking the sunscreen crackdown. Regulations based on environmental impact of sunscreen chemicals are starting to emerge in beach hotspots. But what is the issue with these materials and which markets might be next to legislate, asked Barbara Barkhausen, Gemma Handy, Sarah Gibbons, and Michael Cosmids. Uh, concerns about the environmental and health damage caused by sunscreen chemicals has started to translate into regulatory action around the world, with the U.S. state of Hawaii being the most high-profile reformer. Hawaii has imposed a statewide ban on sale and distribution within Hawaii of products containing oxybenzone and octaninate, if I'm pronouncing it right, which are widely regarded as having harmful impact on corals. The ban will come into force on the 1st of January 2021. However, it will cover Hawaii-based stores only. Tourists bringing locally unlawful sunscreens in their luggage to Hawaii will not face arrest at the airport, nor will the products be confiscated. But they will be subject to a lot of education with around vacation spots advising them to use re-safe products. Senator Mike Gabbard, who introduced the original bill, proposed the ban, telling cosmetics business, it applies to sale, not use. It doesn't restrict tourists from bringing their own sunscreen products for personal use, he says. They won't be beach police writing tickets. The onus is not on the tourist or citizen, but on the retail shopkeeper. There are currently no penalties attached to this law. Environmental campaigners have called for more tourist hotspots to file suit and further research is to be undertaken to identify more suitable environmental-friendly ingredients for use in sunscreens. There does seem to be a response. The city of Key West in Florida has banned the sale of sunscreens in Tourist Island that use the ingredients from January 1st, 2021. Also, some report areas in Mexico banned their sale. Um, visiting tourists to these Mexican hot holiday spots are offered biodegradable alternative sunscreen sachets on arrival. Washington, D.C.-based Personal Care Products Council PCPC is concerned that pro that key products will be withdrawn from use in Hawaii when the ban comes into force. Science serves as a foundation for everything cosmetics and personal care products company do. PCPC spokesperson or spokesman says, highlighting research that sparked the state's ban, the conclusions are contradicted by credible environmental experts who acknowledge the climate change, overfishing, sewage runoff, cause harm to coral reefs, not sunscreen. Dermatologists have also urged the public not to abandon the use of sunscreen. The reasons for the endangerment of coral are multifactorial, suggests Dr. Henry Lim, immediate past president of the American Academy of Dermatology, in a study released last year which argued chemicals in sunscreen are not the sole cause of harm to coral, so people should not put themselves at risk by halting skin protection altogether. His report, co-written by Samantha Schneider in the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology, called Review Environmental effects of oxybenzone and the other screen sunscreen active ingredients agree the light of the growing body of evidence of negative impacts of organic UV filters environment alternative forms of sun protection should be sought. However, environmental concerns should not detract from the educating the public on importance of photo protection. So I can certainly understand their concern with uh, people stopping using it. Um, but like I said earlier, if they limit it to what you can buy in the area, mm -hmm. that's going to resolve itself. Because eventually, people everywhere will be on. You know, if you're on vacation two weeks, are you going to bring two weeks, or are you going to buy something local? You're going to are buy you, local. You're going to buy it local. What so, I, I'm having a hard time understanding is is with this this agreement is it seems like it should be fairly easy to test. I. Uh, we can test poisons and other things on uh, items, especially if you're specifically talking coral. 
what I'm guessing is that they is that these groups are not agreeing on what levels are practical. Uh, you know, few uh, what what densities, right? Uh, they, and, and the article does you know go into a lot more detail. Talks about is a U.S. wide man likely, and that's brought about by an Arizona-based lobby group called the Center for Biological Diversity. Uh, then, if you're further down, it talks about the Caribbean islands take action, mm-hmm. and it talked about uh, regulatory action has also been mooted in Caribbean. Last May, the Dutch. Uh, Caribbean island of Bonaire became the first island in the region to take steps to ban that. And Bonaire makes sense because that is really their money. I mean, that's why a lot of people go down there. It's a diving hotspot. So to be, to be extra cautious, because some I've, I've heard reports that some of those reefs, especially some of the house reefs where you've got tons of divers on them, and or the damage is being caused by people physically touching the coral. Yeah, um, they're they're going to err on the side of caution. Just you know, anything that can keep those reefs in uh, a marketable shape where people want to come and see them, uh, they're going to promote. Yeah, well, in Australia, uh, they talk about there's more resistance to regulation, and if you look at that, Australia has one of the highest rates of skin cancer in the world. And sunscreens are an important component of, you know, the sun protection mm-hmm. regime that they go through. Yeah. yeah so and it's like, you know, it's like you said, you would think an independent agency would be able to make some kind of testing without right. going into this big hullabaloo so they can prove it definitively. And it's not climate warming or that kind of item. Well, the, what I'd want to know is, are these alternatives, are they effective? And if I use the ones that are considered toxic in the water, but I don't go in the water, are they still making their way to the water? Is it one of those things where if I, you know, I, I, I shower and it goes down the drain, it goes to waste, waste treatment plant, is the waste treatment processing enough for it to be broken down to where it's no longer harmful? Well, you know, that's a really interesting part because there are some articles in the paper here recently and I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the names of them, but you've still got the uh, microplastic beads that are so small, you're actually ingesting them. Um, yes. They were talking about several other chemistry or chemical items that we've had put into our water that is not filtered out and is becoming in higher levels every year that eventually they're going to be at such a level they're going to be considered toxic. Now, if we already know that now, why are we not really working on a better filtration system? I don't know, you know, if the reverse osmosis process eliminates some of that, but it would you would think so. Excuse me. Yeah. If it's a solid microparticle. But some of these chemicals they're talking about, you know, the the bad zones around Air Force bases, military oh, yeah. bases that yeah. had burning of materials, oils, you know, other yeah. products have penetrated the soil now it's leaching mm-hmm. into the groundwater and that's becoming a, a big concern because it's showing up more and more and more yeah yeah we have uh, the uh, the the fo- fire retardant foams that were used uh how how toxic they have become we've got some sites here in the area near kalamazoo michigan where they've got uh contamination to the point where you can't drink the water anymore um, so and then, there's and then, lots of stuff out there. Yeah, and then pharmaceuticals. You know, pharmaceuticals they say are not designed to be broken down in your waste treatment plant. So, you know, that's getting passed on in high enough concentrations, especially in these long rivers, um, that's getting ingested by the marine life, the fish, and you know, you consume the the fish, you're getting some of these chemicals secondhand. Well, it's the same way when you dump your leftover antibiotics and all the chemicals that you take, you know, your prescription drugs, to the toilet. Mm-hmm. You're not always getting that stuff out. You've still got chemicals in the water because, you know, filtration is one thing, killing certain kind of viruses or, or bacteria right. is another, but you've got low-level chemicals in there that are getting higher. That's going to be the big issue and is the big Yeah. yeah. Well, back to the poop story. There we go, yeah. Pretty weird poop story. Scientists often get excited about animal excrement they find, 
But one research team also got a surprise, and they found a USB memory stick inside the frozen poop of a leopard seal on New Zealand's Orietti Beach. It was in good condition. They decided to search for the owner with the help of social media and a news outlet. That's how Amanda Nally, a self-proclaimed seal enthusiast, was shocked to see some of her footage of playful sea lion pups on nearby Porpoise Bay appear in the nightly news. The story gets even more bizarre. Turns out the memory stick was found enmeshed in feathers and bones, indicating it was inside a seabird the leopard seal had preyed upon. Nally said she must have dropped the memory stick while beach walking. That is that is absolutely amazing to think that it was able to. So she drops it, the bird grabs it, and then the seal eats grabs the bird. the bird, and then they happen to find the seal poop that had that in there. Like I said earlier, it's you know you could win yeah. the lottery twenty times before that would happen again. Yes, <laughs> I'd be content to win it once, but hey, can I say? But Luckily, it also the- goes. Back to what you're saying. What are you know? How much plastic? What do we got out there that oh. animals are eating? Yeah. Well, they're eating memory sticks. Well, it could look like a worm or a big, you know, slice of well, fish. You've you've seen that. I mean, I gotta remember as kids, we used to throw whatever you know, ever we had in the beach up in the air, trying to get the seagulls to go after it. Yeah. So I'm sure oh. that these whatever these birds they have in New Zealand are kind of like our. Are seagulls and they're just like trash. You know, they're fighting over garbage. Yeah, we have sky rats. Sky rats. Oh gosh. I'm just thinking, how many of those guys are eating Bic lighters? You cannot walk down the beach and saying, "Joe, I did that a couple of weeks ago and took pictures." You cannot walk down the beach without finding dozens of those Zippo lighters. Not Zippo. Yeah. The, no, the Zippos I'd be keeping. The little, yeah, the glass filled. The, the yeah, I know the one. Gas filled ones. Yeah. They're at the checkouts at the gas station. Yeah. You know, little plastic disposable. Uh, well, it goes along with the, the turtles we talked about last time. Yeah. You know, they were finding 150, the average was 150 to 300 and some odd items in the intestines and the bodies of those turtles. Yeah. The dead ones. Yeah. And not a good thing here. Yeah. Well, Craig is still with us, so let's get on to. La Griffin. Yeah, keep keep going. Yeah, the Griffin. And no, we haven't found the Griffin. Uh, this is from the Manitolin, Manitolin Expose, Ex, Expositor, uh, which is a, must be a newspaper up there in Canada. Uh, TV special on the Le Griffin shipwreck to air in May. Uh, television show Expedition Unknown, which I believe is hosted by Josh Gates is set to air in a, uh, an episode about the potential wreck of the LaSalle ship Le Griffin in the waters of Lake Huron just west of Manitolan Island on Discovery Channel Wednesday, May 8th. It'll be a pretty exciting show. The only thing they told me when we were in the middle of the editing stage is that Joan Frostberg, my wife, and I will be very pleased. She was interviewed at Niagara Falls, and I was part of the expedition at Manitolan, said the author and underwater enthusiast Chris Cole, who joined the Discovery film crew this past summer. The Griffin has been cited as the holy grail of undiscovered Great Lakes shipwrecks. The vessel disappeared in its main voyage trip in 1679. It was fitted with seven cannons, and some say it should be considered the first ship on the Great Lakes. After making a successful first trip to the Green Bay area of Lake Michigan, it departed for a home with six crew members and thousands of dollars worth of furs. After it set sail, it was never seen again. Several people have claimed they have found the Griffin, but many of these claims have since been debunked. Its true location remains a mystery. That is, unless diving expeditions past summer may have produced conclusive evidence. I don't think so. Uh, Mr. Cole has written several books with his wife about maritime history. The couple are self-described as maritime historians, divers, photographers, videographers, authors, and speakers. They released their book, The Wreck of the Griffin, in early 2015, billing it as the great mystery of the Great Lakes. There were a natural choice to help out with this television special. Both have extensive knowledge of the underwater world of the Great Lakes and were able to add unique perspective to the dialogue. Miss Frostberg was interviewed on the Maid of the Mist in Niagara Falls while Mr. Cole got to be on scene with a dive crew in the uh, Mississauga Strait. Joining them was Underwater Archaeologist Society of Chicago co-founder Marie Van Heest. 
Wow, that is that how you would introduce uh, Valerie? I mean, I would think you would have done MSRA. I uh, would have too. Yeah, I wonder why they want that angle. Who dove alongside Expedition Unknown host Josh Gates. Uh, they and the production crew from the California set out in a well-equipped research vessel brought up from Minnesota. Mr. Cole said his show provided much more immersive experience than previous shows in which he appeared. I've been interviewed by the History Channel a number of times over the years. With them, you just sit in a dark room with a spotlight on you and some guy sitting off the side asking questions. Quite frankly, it's pretty boring compared to Expedition Unknown. They truly make history exciting. We were more than just talking heads. We were involved in the action, and that was fun. Burning question in front of anyone's mind who know the great is whether the team found the wreck. The only way to answer questions is tune into the show for premiere. All cast and crew have signed a non-disclosure agreement, cannot even provide hits the outcome of the episode. Well, let me be first one to predict no. Because I, I don't care who you are. You, you're, they're not getting enough on advertisers compared to what they would get for announcing it. Uh, you, you'd, have, you'd have edited, posted it early, and you'd have that as your kickoff episode. I can say this much. Most of the time, Josh does not find what he goes looking for, but they still run the show. At very least, in those instances, he still comes up with something that gives hope that there may be more to come someday, says Mr. Cole. Regardless of the outcome, Mr. Cole said the show will be interesting one to watch next month. Barring any scheduling changes, Expedition Unknown will air on Discovery Channel 9 p.m. Wednesday, May 8th. Not quite as exciting as a poop story, but. Is, is that what it's come to now that we can't get excited about the Griffin? Did I lose you, Mac? Nope, you did not. I'm back here. I was just, this wasn't that interesting. I'm just listening to it. <laughs> I don't know. We've been, it's we've like, been down here so many times. Well, Confederate Gold, that's another one. It's it's made oh. for television, and it's, it's big hype about nothing. I mean, I look at the money they spent on Oak Island over the years. Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, if I hit, look at the equipment they have. How much oh. is it? They're going to have to make a billion bucks to break even. Oh, which they won't. No, no, he's. I mean, they find a, a, a piece of wood and they're going to send it in and have it carbon dated to find out. <laughs> okay, so it's a tree that's 200 years old. Duh. <laughs> I, and the same thing here. It's much ado about nothing, but I'm. It's entertaining. I, I That's one I can't miss. Uh, Entertaining? Oh, yeah. It's insulting to your intelligence. It's all <laughs> hype. All these reality shows. They're, they're, they actually did a, a review of people who watch those television shows. Unless you're housebound and can't get out, <laughs> anybody who watches those, there's something wrong with their minds. They basically <laughs> said, well, they did. They said, you watch it because, one, you like to watch the people make really stupid mistakes since it's all choreographed, and you can't believe people can be that stupid. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I agree in principle. Like, the, the one that I can't, I can't stand is Hoarders. My wife and daughter will have that one on, and it's, it's like watching a train wreck. You know, it's, it's almost exploiting the mentally ill, because that's, like, almost what every single one of them on the show is. That's my point. How productive is that? How, I mean, what do you what do you get out of it? You get there and you say, "My God, I can't believe it! Look at that rat stuff! I mean, I've got sewage in the it's like it's the same thing every time." Mm-hmm. And they they're in denial, and you're right, they're mentally ill, and yeah. we're sitting there broadcasting it because we have idiot people that will sit there and watch it. Well, Karen in the chat room is saying that Valerie and Joan Fosberg talked about uh, uh, that show uh, at their MSRA that happened this last weekend. And? Oh, no, that's what she said. I didn't, they didn't, I don't know. If, well, they, they've got NDA, so they probably, all they can probably talk about is the experience, not the contents. They can't they debunk it. They can't debunk it before it starts. No, they, they, nobody they want watch it. it. Well, and then they want, and they want to be on it again. I mean, this is, I don't know what they, that would be, I like to find out is what are they paying these people? I mean, are they getting paid anything? You know, if you're on camera, are you, are you just giving them free footage because you, you, I want to be on TV? 
Well, anybody who really does that professionally, it's exposure is exposure, exposure. There's no such thing as right. bad publicity. Yeah, I, I, I guess if you can take advantage of the publicity. And mm-hmm. generally, the people, do you know the names? Yes. Therefore, they must be taking advantage of the publicity. <laughs> well, the people I know the names, I know the names other than before the publicity. So, uh, But you recognize them. Yeah. Let's see this next one. Now, should Craig, by the way, should he be blinking once in a while? Yeah, he should be blinking. Uh, he's he doing okay. Okay, he's I haven't blinking. seen him blink on my side. Yeah, if, if he's if he's doing that highlighted, he's fine. Okay. It's when he's all dark that, like, if we if we're quiet for a minute, it goes on the dark side. Yeah, see, I saw you, that. Yeah, see, there, 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 you went away. See, we're just we're we're torturing Craig. <laughs> uh, and then this is the last article I have on my list. It says, "Search for lost sea containers leads to discovery of a 16th century Dutch shipwreck." Searching for a shipping container that fell off the merchant ship during a storm earlier this year led to discovery of the 16th century shipwreck. The giant container ship MSC Zo lost more than 270 containers in January as it sailed from the Portugal to the German port uh, Bremhaven. Bremhaven. Uh, Bremhaven? Yes, Bremhaven. Bremhaven, okay. I, I have sailed out of there before. Uh it says, while some containers and cargo washed up in the German and Dutch beaches, authorities have also been searching the ocean for missing freight. As a result, they uncovered the oldest shipwreck ever found in Dutch waters. Analysis of the ship timbers indicate the vessel was built in the Netherlands around 1540, according to Holland's National Office of Cultural Heritage. The wood used for the beams was felled in 1536. Ah, great year, experts said. Uh, the wooden beams appear to come from a ship with a smooth hull, probably 30 meters or 98.5 feet long, explained the agency in a statement translated from Dutch. The ship was transporting copper plates when it sank. Plates recovered from the wreck site bear the name of Fugger family, a German merchantile and banking dynasty that held a monopoly on copper production in the 16th century. So when they said plates, is that just a way that they would like smelt it down, kind of like ingots for gold or. Well, in the background of where he's by the escalator, look behind yeah. his hand. Yep. That would be to me, you know, manageable size, not too heavy. And easy. Yeah. To you could, up. yeah, you could transfer them on and off the boat fairly easily and they probably get worked into something else. Uh, plates recovered from the wreck bear, the family name officials, uh, say they discover discovery is a high cultural and archaeological important. This find can be rightfully called a lucky accident, said Holland's Minister of Education, Culture, and Science, Ingrid van uh, Engelschoven. In a statement, I'm very cautious about what information has been revealed. There is also the beauty of archaeology. It stimulates your curiosity and imagination. Holland's National Office for Cultural Heritage will be conducting further research on the shipwreck, according to officials. Other shipwrecks around the world have also been garnering attention. Archaeologists in Egypt recently discovered the wreck of an extremely rare vessel that traveled the Nile from 2,500 years ago, solving an ancient puzzle. We talked about that one last week, too. That same one. Yes. And another project, an anchor from the treasure-laden 17th century shipwreck has also been found off the coast of the U.K. We also talked about that one. Yep. Uh, and then they go on. And uh, But it was a bad day to lose 270 containers. I was doing some research on some shipwreck stuff too long ago, and it gave what they estimate the number of those container, cargo containers, are washed off of ships in one year as a traverse the uh, coastal regions, and it's amazing. I mean, if you knew where it went down and looked at the current, you'd know where to go look for them. Quite interesting to see how much money you could make recovering those suckers. Hmm. I don't think we're too far away from that being uh, viable. I mean, you start getting underwater drones that can search on their own. You just drop a, you know, drop them in, have them go find it, and then you just determine. Uh, now, is it worth going down and getting? So as, as far as something to pick up, I would think a even a mangled container would be something that's manageable to pull up and bring to the surface. Yeah. Well, looking at the ones that are on the shoreline, 
looks reasonably intact. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, now, if it's electronic know, goods, it ain't going to be worth much. But no. if there's other items, who can tell what it's worth? So, gold, drugs. <laughs> yeah, they they pack those pretty well. You know, they're all sealed up in plastic. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Now, do you do you have to get a permit to go searching for these? <laughs> they kind of bring it full circle. Well, I just wonder if you run into one with your ship that's at night, can you? Do a claim against the vessel that lost it? I think if you find it, I think you should be able to. One would think so. Littering. <laughs> yeah, littering. Yeah. Well, there we do it. That does it for Scuba in the News, and we didn't lose Craig. Uh, that time. Yeah, so far. Uh, let's see. uh Gosh, I've been I've been doing robotics, 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 but has anybody been getting in the water? I'm not sure because I've been out of the loop a little bit on that. Uh, talking about things coming up, though, we do have. Let's see. Well, you're not in, interested in skydiving safety day. That's this week, Saturday. No. Uh, the 13th, we're doing that sportsman um, oh, display yeah. at Midway Baptist we're in the sportsman. Mm-hmm. And the big deal is on the 27th, uh, we did that last year. had a great time in St. Joe. That's going to be a, I won't say pool party, but they're doing a Discover Scuba, which is mm-hmm. going to be open to other divers. Uh, the only difference this year, I believe they're going to be uh, a requested voluntary $5 donation that will go to the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve for those who would like yeah. to come in and try out their suits before hopping into Lake Michigan, their first wreck dive of the year, which should yeah. be any time now. Uh, yeah, some people I, had I, that planned two weeks ago, uh, but the weather blew it off. They were going to go to the Havana. So anyway, that's the 27th. Yeah, I, I saw something on Facebook where Bob was looking to get people to, yep. to go, but did that get, yep. that get canceled? or Yeah, the weather kicked up. Ah. And probably the biggest one, but we'll put some information out on that one. But you're familiar with Taurus Lysenko for A&T Recovery? Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, he finds all the I've planes. got him scheduled to do a presentation at the Benton Harbor Airport in September. Uh, we're also buying books that that he just finished a book on the recovery, last 30 yeah. years of recovering aircraft. And we'll have those available for on sale. and. If you come early, we're going to have them available for uh, talking to, book signing. Uh, then we'll do the presentation. And if you've not been to the one, talking about the aircraft carriers on Lake Michigan and the various aircraft that he has recovered and some of the, you know, what's happened to him, it's quite entertaining. You'll really enjoy it. And you'll hear more about that as uh, we get closer to September. Yeah. And, um, we we need to put a link out there, but you can pre-order his book now, or you could go and pick it up when at the show. Or yes, you could buy it there, and you might get a little bit of a discount that you don't get otherwise. Yeah. Um, and then and, uh, and we, then then you can have him sign it right there. Yeah. You can say, "Can you make this out to Darren and Mac?" Well, I'll have my own copy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Let's see. And then we also had an MSRA show was this last week. Um, it looks like Karen went to it. I didn't see too many posts, though. Is she available there to maybe give yeah, you some she information? Said, she's talking, uh, continuing on the Valerie and Joan Fosberg. They said they didn't talk much about their experience. They talked about their experience, but not much else. They have not seen the final edit, so they are waiting to. Okay. Oh, Eric said there's a company that checks the insurance payments and then go after fine wine. So I must be talking about the containers. Yes. Uh, yeah, and Karen pointed out Taurus uh, is not shy with his opinions, which uh, if you want to go back and find out, you can listen to him. We had uh, an interview with him uh, probably a little bit over a year ago, I think he was on the show. So uh, you can do a search. You can go to www.scubaobsessed.com. Uh, probably just type in Taurus and it will link to it or look to your podcast app of choice and you should be able to find it as well. If you're enjoying the show, we could always use your support. Uh, 
head on over to our website and click on to the Patreon link. You know, for about the price of a coffee, you can surely help out the show and keep it going. Uh, let's see. So, uh, as a side note, that's going to be September 28th. Okay. And that yeah. is a Saturday. Nice. So no reason, nobody, you can't come. You can come. Yeah. September 28th. You're starting to get into that. You're probably going to be off Lake Michigan by that, that time. Most well, the guys will be back from up North. Yep. Well, and then it, the, like you said, they have the uh, the pool coming up. Uh, any t- any time now, you're going to see somebody on Lake Michigan. Well, um, also with the pool party now, that afternoon, they're going to be having the classes for yep. O2, first aid, AED, yep. uh, yeah, the, the, CPR. The, yeah, the underwater preserve is taking the opportunity. They're going to be doing training for the divers who will be booing the wrecks. Yes. So uh, there is a minimum requirements to be performing that task. Those are some of the required courses that you have to have certifications on, of which I got to make sure I clear my schedule so I can get those done. I, I may not. I have to look and see. I'm a, I have a feeling that might be World Competition Weekend. But uh, Well, I'm really hoping we get that done because there's no reason we cannot get those major oh, two yeah. wrecks buoyed this year because we've got the funds to do that work. Yeah, we, we, we've got some good momentum. You want to get that training done, get those going and moving, build up that knowledge, and then, you know, hopefully we have a problem in a few years' time where we've we've buoyed everything and we're looking for things to do. But uh, it's it's nice to actually see the uh, underwater preserves, uh, you know, achieving some of their objectives and uh, getting some of these wrecks buoyed. Yep, absolutely. Uh, do you have a safety story of the week this week? Well, I have some information from Dan at Europa on the aging diver, which applies to a lot of us in the uh, geriatric section and are the diving dinosaurs of the mud club. It's talked about a diving, a sport for older connoisseurs. Nowadays, there are more divers at a higher age. They're eager to savor their activity time as intensively as possible. Their well-chosen dive locations often lead to the tropics and subtropics for long periods of time. And there are also more divers at a higher age, not only on diving safaris. We know that older divers look for enjoyment more so than adventure. They also dive more safely because they're more cautious and usually very experienced. They're also more willing to act responsibly and accept restrictions regarding their diving activities in the case of physical limitations. And hopefully that means as you get older, you get smarter. I'm still waiting for the the wisdom that comes with getting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, age-related. Did you say smart ass? Is that what it was? It could be. Uh, age-related physical limitations. It says uh, with aging, chronic diseases can be associated, which often leads to permanent medication. Medication must be compatible with diving. This also applies to medical aids and medical devices such as pacemakers. Uh, Here, advice from the diving doctor is required. While examining the fitness to dive, he must consider typical age-related limitations to it, meaning reduce physical fitness, reduce stamina and strength and endurance. That strength and endurance is definitely a big issue for people I know. Altered lung function, increased reaction times, and reduced cold resistance. And then they talk about the risk to your cardiovascular system as you get older is that immersion itself can trigger physical certain reactions, certain physical reactions. And this can have an unfavorable effect, especially on older divers, such as uh, fluid shift to the body core, constriction of the blood vessels of the skin, and significant increase of urine excretion. And we have talked about that before. Invariably, consequences of the immersion effect are significant fluid loss, says in the elderly, and it doesn't really say what elderly means. Uh, This can have particular unfavorable effects since they often tend to drink less anyway, especially in the summer. Uh, Therefore, dehydration can quickly occur, causing serious diving accidents. Thick blood cannot properly contribute to removal or elimination of inert gas. It talks about uh, risk for lung and respiration. The burden of swimming underwater is surprisingly high. This is due to the depth-dependent increased breathing gas density. 
the changes in the respiratory mechanisms will allow for already existing health restrictions of the respiratory organs to manifest themselves suddenly. Even an experienced diver is usually less than 5% of the body energy will go to the fin. The limiting factor is respiratory mechanics, and it can get quickly out of hand with overexertion. They talked about during medical checkups, older divers should be examined and the focus should be on their cardiovascular and respiratory system. And they should aim to have physical activity capacity endurance maintained. They should check and make sure your skeletal system is also, you know, not aging, that you're going to be doing something to hurt it. The aim is is the profound advice under which conditions a diver with age-related limitations can dive safely. So their advice for safe diving at an advanced stage is expand your safety margin to shorter, shallower dives, respect safety stops, use slow ascent rates, reduce repetitive dives, use nitrox instead of air as a breathing gas. It says maintain physical tolerance, meaning do suitable age-related sports activities with focus on endurance and muscle strength, avoid dehydration, make sure you have sufficient hydration before diving. And they talked about a good tip for that is Good salvation, salivation is a sign of fluid balance. Said so reduce your burden. Did we just lose something? No, I'm still here. Oh, I heard something go ding. Oh. Uh, <laughs> okay. Don't challenge your physical performance limits intentionally. Avoid stress by diving relaxed. Avoid jumping into the water. Said so slide into the water to minimize the effect, the acute emission, immersion effects. Optimize cold protection. The individual cold protection should be designed that even a slight chill is avoided. Then it said, questions for older divers. At what age should I reduce question or diving? And it says it's the biological age that counts, not the actual age. Starting at 40, the annual medical examination for diving fitness should be more thorough and even focused and more focused on the older diver, especially once you're past 55. It says, when should I stop diving? Your body will tell you. The age is not decisive. When it comes to health, when the body sends its own signals that diving feels burdensome or staying underwater feels unpleasant, then it's time to reconsider. Said, should I dive more conservative? Yes, it is strongly recommended. There are a number of recommendations for safe diving. These should definitely be considered by older divers. Question is, are older divers more susceptible to decompression sickness? And it said, not necessarily. However, they can significantly reduce the risk of decompression illness by proper hydration. Talks about changes in lungs at higher age increase the risk, and therefore you can reduce that by ascending slow and use your safety stops. So you don't got to stop. Use, no. you know, adhere, you know, listen to what your body's telling. Yeah. Well, and the, and the thing to point out there is they said it's not the physical age, it's the biological age, which is just how well you as an individual are aging. Uh, and you can uh, affect that by exercise and eating right and uh, doing what you probably know you should be doing already. Well, the key items, again, is reduce strength and endurance. You just can't go across that river like you used to. Yeah. And that was my first indication, like, I got to do things a little different. Oh, well, I think we are getting to the end of another episode. Do you have anything that you want to plug before we get out of here? I think I mentioned the major items. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't think I've got anything this week. Uh, just hopefully I get all these episodes edited that I've got ready. And, uh, you know, by the time everybody hears this to know that we're not recording next week, it'll probably be a couple of weeks past then. So we'll probably be in the other one. So. Hopefully we do well enough, uh, the, the robotics team that I coach, uh, that they'll be going to Worlds in uh, two weeks after uh, State. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, so are you ready for that time of the show? I am sitting back here. My chair is adjusted. I'm ready. Okay. So here we go. A very old diver telephoned St. Joseph Hospital. He weakly asked, is it possible to speak to someone who can tell me how the patient is doing. 
The operator said, oh, I'll be glad to help you, sir. What's the name and room number of the patient? The very old diver in his weak, tremulous voice said, John Findlay, room 302. The operator replied, well, let me put you on hold while I check with the nurse's station for that room. After a few minutes, the operator turned the phone and said, well, I have good news. His nurse just told me that John is doing well. His blood pressure is fine. His blood work just came back normal. And his physician, Dr. Cohen, has scheduled him to be discharged tomorrow. The very old diver said, oh, thank you. That's wonderful. I was so worried. God bless you for the good news. The operator replied, you're more than welcome. Is John your son? The old diver said, no, I'm John Finley in 302. Nobody tells me shit. It wouldn't be so funny if it wasn't true. That's that's the kicker. Sometimes yeah. you feel that way. Yeah. Or maybe when they're not telling you, it's because it's so bad they don't want you to know. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's what your mind goes to. Yeah. So until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. can leave for real this time.